Welcome to Viva Vineyard Church's Shiny New Podcast. We pray it's a real encouragement to you. To join us this Sunday in person or online, head on over to vivachurch.org.au. So we had a bit of an interesting uh, experience this week. Our daughter came home from school one day and told us about this writing task that they had been given by a student teacher at school. And it was a Christmas-themed writing task. Uh, I think there were a couple of options, but one of the options was to write about how Christmas began. And so we said to her, oh, right, that's, that's really interesting. So they wanted you to write like a kind of historical narrative, did they? And she was like, no. Um, they actually wanted us to make up a story about how Christmas began. And the teacher had given some example of, a girl whose father had given her a flower and she had named it Christmas and that was how Christmas began. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know what this teacher was thinking. (laughs) But I I think, you know, at Christmas time, there is, for a lot of people, this desire for there to be something magical, (laughs) something wonderful about Christmas. And I don't know if that's because there's so much giving and so much hoo-ha that people are sort of looking for what is what is the magical thing that's behind all this but the reality is that the true story of how Christmas began is absolutely wild like it's quite outrageous really Um, you know there's there's the angels visiting various different people there's dreams there's these wise men coming there's shepherds seeing this crazy um angelic choir proclaiming proclaiming God's praises but at the core of the Christmas story is something which is even more amazing and even more wacky and that is this idea of God becoming human and it's not just God becoming a man but it's God becoming an embryo a tiny speck the creator of the universe becoming that small. And that's what I want to talk about today and as we continue this series on wonder, just spend some time wondering at and about is this idea of the incarnation of God becoming flesh, God becoming man. Now, Christianity stands alone in the belief in this idea of the incarnation. No other religion to to other religions it's either irrelevant you know if you don't really believe in a a god anyway the idea of god becoming man is, is irrelevant or it's quite scandalous and quite shocking and it's actually even quite an offensive idea really because it's saying that here here is god you want to know who god is here's god he has come and he has shown who he is And, you know, you hear a lot of talk these days about, oh, all religions are the same, really. They're all kind of teaching the same thing. And while, as Matt sort of pointed out last week, there can absolutely be truth in all these different religions and worldviews pointing people towards the real God, uh, the incarnation kind of interrupts that idea of, oh, yes, all religions are the same and all kind of just teach the same thing. It's actually something where that is unique to, to followers of Jesus. 
So we're going to look today at, um, at John's introduction to Jesus, John's presentation of the Christmas story, which is quite different to the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels go into sort of all the details around what happened and how it happened and the very sort of historical account of things, what was happening politically, the timing, all the different players in the scenes, whereas John sort of pulls right up to this very sort of cosmic level. So we're going to read from John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. And I'm going to read from the NIV because, I don't know, I think it just sounds a bit prettier, a bit more poetic than some other translations. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. It's one of the big questions of life, who is God? And I think if you ask anybody, who is God? Some of the first answers that people will give you, especially kids will give you, but probably all of us, is that God is huge. God is powerful. God is infinite. He's all-knowing. It's, he's glorious. He's majestic. It's this idea of his his greatness, really. It's the first sort of thing that, that springs to mind when we think about God. And, you know, in this passage, it's, it's talking about Jesus at the, at the beginning and it's talking about similar concepts. It's saying he was in the beginning. He was before all of this that we can see. He was with God and he wasn't just with God, but he was God. Um, he, was, he was the creator. All things were made through him 
and nothing came into being without him. It's all connected to him. And all the life that we see in this world, in this universe, it comes, comes from Jesus. So it's this, John starts by painting this beautiful picture of the glory of Jesus, of just how great he is, how amazing he is. And it talks about him as being light, you know, so, so powerful that darkness can't overcome it. And John uses this metaphor of light to, to talk about Jesus and the glory that he has and the majesty that he has. But the question is, who is God without his power? Who is God without all that glory and unapproachable light? Um, one of the things that we're enjoying watching at the moment is The Crown, and it's, it's all about Queen Elizabeth tracking through her reign, for those of you who might not have seen it. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about why is that series so popular? And I think it's because there's a part of us that's just very curious about uh, these people who are so famous or who are so wealthy or so powerful, and we just kind of want to know, yeah, but what are they like at home? You know, how do they treat their family? How do they treat their employees? What kind of, what kind of person are they when they're not... In the, in the spotlight and waving to the crowds and, and doing all the royal kind of stuff. And as John's talking about Jesus, he describes how Jesus put aside all that, all that glory, all that kingliness that is his. And it reminds me a bit of Philippians 2 where it talks about Jesus, um, even though he was equal with God, he didn't cling on to that equality with God, but he made himself nothing. He emptied himself of everything. And in verse 14 here it talks about the word Jesus becoming flesh. So that's putting aside his glory, his power. It's humbling himself and becoming so small. And I don't know if you've spent much time thinking about that idea this year, but I encourage you to just take some time to just think about it because it's, it's mind-blowing that God would make himself so small, so vulnerable, so powerless when he has all this power. I think it's this beautiful act of love, isn't it, God being willing to give up all of that, all those riches, all that power, all that freedom and be limited down into this human body to become flesh. And, you know, just as an aside, I know that sometimes as followers of Jesus, we, we struggle because God asks us to let go of particular things or to give up particular things. And I think it's good, good for us to remember that God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. So when God challenges us to let go of a particular thing or to, um, for the sake of other people or the sake of his kingdom, to give something up or to not pursue something, he, he's done it all before us and he's not asking any more of us than, than what he's already done. I think there's something about the incarnation that actually really deeply resonates with us as people. I'm sure you can all think of many fairy tales of um, a king or someone in power disguising themselves as a commoner and, and going out among the people. Andrew and I were um, talking about 
the film Coming to America, <clears throat> where this African king who can choose his bride doesn't want someone to just marry him because he's king, but he wants someone to actually fall in love with him for who he is. And I think as we look at this idea of God becoming man, there's a very similar thread there that God actually wants people to know him for who he is, not just for his greatness and his majesty and his power, but to actually love him for who he is. And so I think in the Christmas story, we see this drama beginning to unfold. We see God saying, okay, humanity, here I am. This is me. This is me without all the fanfare. Do you want me? Do you want to know me? And how are you going to respond to me? And, um, you know, John, who spent a lot of time with Jesus, his summary of who is God without all his glory and all his power is grace and truth. He talks, says it a couple of times in this passage that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And it's grace and truth together. I think as people, we often like one or the other, depending on who we are and our circumstances. Like some of us love the idea that God is grace, his mercy, his kindness, he is forgiving, he's generous and abundant. But he's also truth. And there are others of us who really resonate with this idea that, no, God is truth and he's solid and he defines reality. He defines right and wrong. And most of us will find ourselves going to one of those extremes or the other. And the challenge is that when God revealed himself, when God came to show us who he really is, the revelation was that he is grace and truth together. So God comes and he says to humanity, here I am. <laughs> I'm grace and truth. Do you want me? And, you know, we see in this passage, John talking about a people's response to Jesus. And I guess he's skipping forward a bit into Jesus's life here, but he says that people didn't recognize him. He's the, he's the creator coming to what he, what he made and nobody recognized. Well, very few people recognised him. Now, why didn't they recognise him? I guess maybe he was not what they were expecting. I mean, he was in disguise, really, you know, disguised as a newborn baby. Um, but actually, I was thinking all through Jesus' life, he was always asking people, who do you think I am? You know, who do you say I am? And I wonder if there was something in him that was just, you know, almost with a twinkle in his eye, waiting to see, is anyone going to recognise me? Um but people didn't recognise him for the most part. They didn't recognise this is God. And it also says in verse 11 that people didn't receive him, that he came to that which was his own. You know, this whole world is his, but people didn't receive him. I think it's probably because they were not, he was not what they were wanting. You know, we see the religious people around Jesus, hating him for his grace, hating him for his kindness to sinners and his welcome of people who didn't have it all together. 
And then we also see people, especially the people with power and wealth and influence, hating Jesus for the truth that he embodied and that he taught and that he brought. And I was thinking about, you know, this idea of hating grace or hating truth. And really both of them, at their core, they're about us wanting to be God. They're about us wanting to be the ones who define what is true, what is real, what is right and what is wrong, what is, what is good, who deserves to be in and who deserves to be out. Both of those extremes, at their core, they're about the fact that we want to be God. We don't want God to be God. So God comes and says, here I am, humanity, do you want me? And people say, actually, no, we want to kill you. And we see that even in the Christmas story, you know, Herod's response, the Saviour's been born. Oh, great, I want to kill him. And all through, it is all through Jesus' life and, um, and in the end he, he was killed by, by people as well. But there's a bit of a twist there, which is that God, you know, so, so mankind says to God, actually, no, we hate you, we don't want you. And God's response is not to just get out his big red destroy the earth button and push it, but his response <laughs> is, you know, I knew you were going to say that. And even your hatred I'm going to weave into my plan to, to restore and redeem humanity. I'm going to let you hate me and let you kill me so that I can rescue you. I mean, amazing, right? What love. What love that that wants to do that, that wants to even use our twistedness and our hatred of God and our desire to be God to, to act as the means for rescuing us. So who is God without his power? Well, he's actually the best news ever. You know, I think if we as people can put aside our desire to be God, if we can put aside our pride and our desire to be the ones who are calling the shots, defining, defining love, defining right and wrong, judging others, justifying away our need for grace, if we can put all that aside, then who God truly is without his power is amazingly good news for us. I mean, it's amazing that the universe is ruled by someone who is grace and truth, not someone who is violence and dominance, not someone who is wishy-washy disinterest, but grace and truth together. But there's, the, you know, there's hope, and the passage talks about this hope. It actually talks about some people who did receive Jesus. Um, verse 12 and 13. 13. But to those who, all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You know, he offers to all who will receive him as he is, he offers relationship, family, acceptance, complete restoration to our true identity. Um, the undoing of sin and the way it's twisted us. You know, verse 16 talks about receiving grace upon grace. And this is our this is our generous God. And you know, the wonder of the Christmas story is that God wants to be known. 
you know, part of the reason that he became flesh was, yes, to, to redeem mankind, but it was really also to reveal who he is. It was so that we could actually know him. And I think this is an amazing thing about God, that God wants to be known. And it's both, both amazingly good news for us and also incredibly challenging. It's good news because we don't have to, um, to wonder, who is God? Can I really know God? Can I ever really get to know God? The answer is yes. He wants us to know him. God wants us to know him. He wants to reveal himself. But it's also incredibly challenging because it then leaves the question with us, well, do we really want to know God? Verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. There's, um, there's an organisation in the US, I think they... You know, they're worldwide, but they work mostly in universities or with students. And their little motto is to know Christ and make him known. And if you want a summary of what the, what the point of life is for a Christian, it's that. It's to know Christ and to make him known. You know, all the other stuff of life, career and family and relationships and friendships and buying a house and travel and hobbies, like these are all wonderful things, but they're really just the back the backdrop they're the scenery and life for us as Jesus followers is about knowing God and then from that making him known but we certainly can't make him known if we don't know God so I guess that's the kind of the question that I wanted to chew on today and that I want all of you guys to to chew on as well is do you really want to know God And for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, I think there's a question there of, do I want to keep, do I want to keep knowing God? Do I want to keep going deeper in my knowledge of God? Or am I actually, you know, I sort of had a revelation of God 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and that's still where I am because we can be. Um, I think, so what do we do? How, what does that actually mean? You know, how do, what, what do we do with this? And I think the first thing, which is a really challenging thing actually, is that being open to knowing God is a state of heart. It's, um, it's a hunger. It's a desire. How much do we really want to know this God? You know, Jeremiah chapter 9 um, says this. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. And, you know, the, the message that Jesus brought is you guys, you can know God, but do you want to? And I feel like that's, that's the question for each of us. And do we want to keep on going and growing in our, our knowledge of God? And it's not just a head knowledge. It's not just an intellectual knowledge, although that's part of it. You do need to know the facts, I guess, and you do use your mind. 
but it's a deeper knowing. It's it's a knowing of the heart and a knowing of the soul. And it's it's a receiving of Jesus as well. It's that being willing to embrace God for who he is, not who we want him to be, not crowbarring him into the shape that we want him to take or trying to make God think the same as we do about everything, but actually accepting God as he is, knowing him as he truly is. So what does that actually mean on a practical level? Well, I think it starts with that that state of heart and that hunger and that desire and cultivating that hunger in our lives and encouraging one another in that hunger. Because this is what this is what really matters. When we meet God, when we stand before God, this is what's going to matter. Did we know God? Did we pursue God? Or did we just pursue other stuff? Did we just fill in the time in our lives with other stuff? So I think there's there's this choice, this state of heart. It's sort of this direction of your life, this goal of your life decision, which is an ongoing one that we need to keep making again and again and again. But then it also touches down into really, really practical stuff. Um, you know, knowing God, know, you know, God re- has revealed himself in Jesus. And so reading the Bible is where we're going to get to know God more and more. It is the main way that he speaks to us. And I think for us, sometimes it's very easy to spend a lot more time reading Christian books or listening to podcasts than reading the Bible. But actually, the Bible is where God reveals himself to us. Challenging as that is, and I find that challenging. <laughs> Um, but spending time in the Word of God is where we will get to know God. The other gift that God has given us is the Holy Spirit. And even though we don't have Jesus here with us anymore, we do have the Holy Spirit. Each one of us has the Holy Spirit living with us if we're following Jesus and trusting him. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would go on revealing him, that he would take from what is Jesus's and make it known to us. And so as we cultivate this hunger to know God, we can depend on the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to bring that revelation. And it's what we need. You know, we don't just need more head knowledge. We need that that revelation that speaks to our hearts and our spirits. So I guess we want to spend just the next little bit of time um, praying. And I think it's, I'd love for us to to pray for one another, to pray for one another about the knowledge of God, how we're going with pursuing the knowledge of God and asking God to give give each of us a deeper revelation of who he is and to help us be pursuing that in our our day-to-day lives as well. So I'm actually going to read, if you all just want to close your eyes, I'm going to read the passage again. Um, and then we'll just go into a, to a time of prayer. And maybe the, the guys on Zoom, you guys can pray for one another, pray together. Um, and those of us who are here, we'll, we'll also pray together and pray for each other. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So why don't we just each take a few minutes to just silently respond to God about this idea of do we want to know him as he is and as he reveals himself to us. 